Deborah, how have you been? I've been all right. Last week. Yeah, I'm just uh, running after a puppy. Who oh, yeah, is, you're getting your puppy. I, uh, I had uh, border collies before, and as it turns out, they're quite willing to do things. Uh, tiny little terriers are not. They're very defiant and <laughs> trying to teach her to sit, and she's no cooperating with anything. So. <laughs> what kind of A beaver terrier. I swear people just make up new dogs. I've heard about dogs my whole life, and still people will come out with breeds that I've literally never heard mentioned before. She's basically a white, tiny Yorkie. Have you said she was chewing on your uh, headset cable? Yeah, that's why I was I was testing the sound because she really likes this mic. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Beaver, uh, it's German. Uh, it's spelled B-I-E-W-E-R, and they're they're. German Yorkies, basically. There you go. Well, I suppose it's German in Germany when they call them Yorkshire Terriers, would they? So, makes sense. <laughs> Does that mean every country just like picks a region to call the wee dogs? Well, they are actually Yorkies that were bred in Germany well, and a, they got a, blonde. That's a, that sounds a bit <laughs> ethnocentric to me. I will, I like her because the KC. Uh, Kennel Club refused to acknowledge her as a separate breed, but you've seen her. She doesn't look anything like a Yorkie. No, I, so, I was thinking that. Yeah, so I like her because she's a rebel. Well, 50% of my children were off school, stroke nursery ill today, so I'm doing a great day. Are they still not well? Oh, it's just, it's, it just never seems to end every time. They seem to just keep passing it to each other by the time one of them's clear. And the last one gets it, the first one's getting sick again. A nightmare. I don't know how many children you have, David, but I think you should always uh, give status updates in percentage terms. Well, <laughs> there's four, so, so it works out quite well for percentages. Yeah. <laughs> also thinking about getting another cat. <gasps> so we get three cats at the moment. And I'm thinking You've got to keep a ratio just, there. That's it, just to keep the balance. So the argument is we'll get... We had three girls and then three boy cats. Well, three girl humans uh, and three boy cats. <laughs> and now we'll get now that a baby boy. That the, the thoughts in the household is we need to get a, a female kitten. Mm. I agree. It takes balance. I'm not really sure there's much logic to it, but there's a certain balance in it. I think there should be no excuses needed to get a wee animal. So get one. I went to see kitten kitten spam on your Facebook. <laughs> Bizarrely, it's my wife that's really pushing it. This is this is the woman who didn't like cats, didn't like animals at all. And is now the argument at the moment isn't will we get the fourth cat? It's me saying, let's just get a fourth cat, because she's thinking, well, why don't we get two? And I'm like, <laughs> even me is saying five cats is too much. In fact, I've got one sitting next to you. Ah, mm. Hello, beautiful. This is Spike. He's in the doghouse, ironically, because <laughs> after one of them went missing for a week, I got them fitted with air tags on their collar. They're great. And they were working good, except he came in without his collar. And <gasps> I, I can't find the air tag. <laughs> the last time it pinged an Apple device, it's no still there now. So. <laughs> Connor, have you told us how your weekend, how your weekend was? The weekend was all right, actually. I was in Glasgow both days, which I don't, I don't spend a lot of time in Glasgow, to be honest. Uh, but it was nice. Some 
meetings, catching up with people, seeing some movies, went to see a couple of things as part of the Scotland Loves Anime Festival. That was quite good. That was yeah. the first time I've been in Glasgow Film Theatre. Um, it's nice. It's quite, I, like, I like the GFP. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird that it feels like a lecture theatre when you go in because it's got this, it's like the big cinema is all curved and kind of sloping up seats. Uh, I see, of I, course. I, I just always like, it reminds me of like cinemas when I was when there was we before they sort of mm. jazzed them up. Mm-hmm. I'm just still reeling from, you know, all the sad news about the Edinburgh Film House and the Belmont in Aberdeen. Um, so I'm trying to make a point of supporting independent cinema. Uh, and I'm a, a big fan of uh, the DCA in Dundee, one of my favourite places. Can't recommend it enough. Um, in fact, uh, I should say every year they do a horror film festival called Dundead, which is one of my favourite things. And of course, they're doing a whole bunch of screenings for Halloween this year, uh, which I might get to some of them. Quite excited for that, actually. Um, but yeah, first time in the GFT, felt like I should probably do that. Yeah, last time I went to cinema, it was for the re-release of Avatar, there, which I still stand by that 3D's never been done as well since. Like, I, I just loved Avatar when it came out. And it doesn't really hold up as well, like when you see it at mm-hmm. home, but the whole experience when you're in like a IMAX with the, the goggles on, I think it's amazing. I just uh, recovered access to my IMDb account. I had an IMDb account when I was a teenager. I hadn't logged into it for like 10 years. And so I finally got the password back and I logged in and my last review was, I gave 10 out of 10 stars to Avatar. I don't think I could defend that now. <laughs> it's, um, it is shockingly similar to Dance with Wolves. Only what mm. aliens. Anyway, let's actually talk about the politics. So let's get on, guy. Welcome to Holyrood Ungagged, the B Smith of political podcasts. Season 4, Episode 3, I'm your host, David McClement, broadcasting for the Plantire Free State. And joining me this evening is my eternal comrade, McGuire's digital Michelangelo, Miss Deborah Tom. Hello. Oh, and the third member of this evening's triumvirate is our man in Dundee, the only monolingual member of the clan. I like to thank him as Ungag's constitutional monarch. It's Mr. Connor Beaton. Thanks very much. I'm actually practicing my German, so you won't be able to say that for too much longer. See that? I'm trying to motivate you. That's what I'm doing here. <laughs> I can't remember why I put, I had just written the constitutional monarch joke down, you say, when, when you were next on based on something you must have said in the last pod, and I have no idea what it was. 
I don't so know. If, you're, if you were looking for an explanation, you don't know where to get one. I think you said you're going to introduce me as hardcore nutter because that's what someone called me online. Oh, did I say that? I remember you seeing don't. that in Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 were, what were you being hardcore uh, nuttery about? That's because I held up a pro-dependence banner outside the Supreme Court when they were starting the NREF case. And uh, someone said, it must be the hardcore extreme nutters or something like that. So I think that's a, that's a badge of pride. I'll take that. I mean, I've got a point. You, you, <laughs> you braved the megabus to do it, you know? Yeah. Because Two nights in a row in a, on a megabus. It's not in the companies. Commitment. That's what William Wallace levels of commitment in Scottish independence. <laughs> Well, for the second time in three episodes, we're talking about a new Prime Minister. Rishi Sunak will become the UK's first British Asian Prime Minister after his only remaining rival pulled out of the Tory leadership contest. Nearly 200 Conservative MPs publicly backed the former Chancellor ahead of the nomination deadline today. Commons leader Penny Mordaunt dropped, dropped out after failing to secure enough support. Former P uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson had already announced that he would not run despite claiming to have secured more than 100 nominations required. It means Mr Sunak will succeed Liz Trust, whose reign lasted only 44 days, and he will become the youngest Prime Minister for over 200 years. Um, first of all, I think we should maybe reflect a bit in Liz Trust's um, rather brief time in office. I'm not, I'm not sure what you say about a Prime Minister that comes in, makes all these declarations about right-wing revolution and is out the door when barely six weeks later. Connor? I think we should be thankful to Liz Truss because she assassinated the Queen, uh, managed to get away with it. And then she's out the door. She's discredited the, the right, the libertarian right for forever. Uh, so the sleeper agent, Galbraith Trust, did a great job. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. What is there to say about a 45-day Prime Minister? Um, I mean, I think there is, there's a point that other people have made more effectively than me, which is uh, it probably doesn't augur well for British democracy, such that it is that uh, she was turfed out by the, the, the financial markets, the markets, which is such a amorphous thing. Um, we've probably put a lot of political power in the hands of the markets, which we're kind of now treating as some kind of, you know, objective barometer of how economically uh, correct a certain policy is rather than just you know what a lot of really rich people who want to make a lot of money are thinking about it so I think I don't know um, there's like I, I, I very much enjoy watching Liz Truss humiliate herself uh, on like so publicly so you know visibly but at the same time um, that whole saga will probably end up disciplining any future UK government into thinking twice before they do anything out with the kind of narrow mainstream of British politics. Yeah, that, that swings both ways, you know, right and left. And, mm -hmm. you know, I can just imagine how the, the financial markets might have reacted to um, John McDonald's first budget. Mm -hmm. Deborah? Um. I'm just wondering if she's gone back into the sort of Westworld lab to get a refit or something. Like, she, uh, she's so animatronic, aren't she? Even in her goodbye speech, she was like kind of 
pleased about it. Uh, Brian had tweeted a, a video. Uh, I'm sure it's Miley Cyrus leaving whatever show she was on. She's at the window kissing and smiling. <laughs> now it was she's like Liz Trust leaves after 40 days. You're so right. It was she came in like a wrecking ball and uh, <laughs> just destroyed the markets, stability of the pound, credibility of democracy in the UK. I mean, it's just, what can you say? And I mean, all the things you said there about uh, Sunak, that's nice, isn't it? He's a millennial like us. And uh, <laughs> he's, uh, what was it? Oh, diversity, of course, that's nice. I mean, the ERG heads must be exploding a wee bit. Um, I don't, I'd, I'm not excited. It's another Tory and it's another Prime Minister instilled upon us, instilled the word, installed. And maybe it is installed. Maybe he is also a Westworld uh, android because his uh, short speech, what was that blank state at the end of it? <laughs> Waiting for a blow. <laughs> you know, I will deliver for the interests of the people of the United Kingdom. Is that what he said? I can't even remember. It was so droll. Like... <laughs> I don't remember. I looked at I feel as if it's happening more and more, like these wee kind of weird moments where politicians mm-hmm. make speeches and then they kind of stare blankly. And it's like, mm-hmm. I really don't remember things like that happening like years and years Receiving ago. Like, orders, you know, just waiting for Bill Gates to beam orders into their heads. <laughs> you know, is it because they're like so overproduced now or what? Or, I think I so. I think they're giving their editors a wee uh, cutting cue, mm. like I ask for it from you all the time. Like I, I honestly, <laughs> I think I think they're thinking about their Facebook videos, their social medias, and you know, you know, and thinking, oh, I have to pause here for applause. Whereas I'd imagine, like you know, in the past, political leaders made speeches and sort of assumed there'd be applause, but I don't think it was written into the. the mm. You know, their speech, like, pause here for applause, pause here for standing ovation. It just mm-hmm. it seems so contrived, which is a kind of issue with politics, really. It's all contrived. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I, I saw a video um, that was shared on Twitter the other day, which was from, a, I think it was a German transport minister, where he was announcing, you know, some great measure, you know, train fares that would be, you know, unheard of here uh, but he was clearly using an auto cue that was running slightly too fast because he kept like getting to the end of what they offered him and having to pause a second before the next word came up so it's like a very different version of that kind of robotic politician speak um, of course Liz Trust does get £115,000 for life now despite only winning a job fairly at one um, I think there seems to be a debate whether she gets a resignation honours list which is just ridiculous. I mean, because I mean, there was one, you know, when Boris left, so we're really getting another set of honours. Who's she going to honour? <laughs> Quasi Quartang, yeah. Apologise for sacking him for doing, doing what she asked him to do, maybe. What do you think the cabinet's going to look like? Sorry, I just asked a question when I wasn't meant to. Sorry. No, but, um, <laughs> well, we, I'd imagine it will just be kind of a move back to a lot of the old faces that popped up in the last couple of cabinets, like less of the, you know, the kind of new generation of rabid right-wingers. The, 
maybe this, do you think maybe this Alist- would be less of the braver and things like that? Like the- do you think Alistair Jack's safe as a <laughs> <laughs> Scottish secretary? Yeah, safe safest just, job in British politics. It's just because I think they've probably forgot about him, I think. <laughs> it's like there was a story about a wrestler who get sacked or told to go home uh, from his company, but the company was in such a shambles, they actually forgot to stop his paycheck. So he didn't say anything. He sat for two years getting paid because they never. And I think that's what's happened yeah. to Alistair Jack. So they they care so little about the Scottish uh, office and so little for Alistair Jack that he's just sitting there at an empty desk, looking at the window every day. Occasionally <laughs> the phone will go. He'll get all excited, and it turns out it's like you know a cold caller or something, or <laughs> you know a scam caller for India. I can't remember who it was. There was one of those um, UK government ministers, I don't know if it was Penny Mordaunt, who, uh, after one of the reshuffles where they kept the Scottish Secretary uh, and the Northern Ireland Secretary and the Welsh Secretary, because, you know, nobody wants those jobs. Um, And she said, like, important continuity in the territorial offices. So that's what what they are. I remember (laughs) that. Territorial. Was there not something recently as well? One of them was arguing on Twitter or something that Scotland and Wales weren't nations. I think that was a story. Mm. Who knows? Oh, yeah, I think that was probably Lord Frost. Because yeah. he was kind of the Liz Truss ally who was spearheading the whole kind of uh, muscular unionism or whatever they like to call it now. Thing. Muscular unionism? Yeah, that's, well, that's the term that's been bandied about for, you know, we've given these people too much slack and then we should be kind of winding it back. Um, I think muscular yeah. union is basically like a epithet for imperialism. <laughs> I just thought maybe they were on the uh, whey protein. <laughs> on, on the protein, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a phrase that that pops up every few years, and they mm. always act as if it's a new idea. And it's mm. like that's just what you've been doing. You're just like shouting about how rubbish Scotland is. Yeah. And then they try brand, brand new idea. What if the Tories weren't fans of devolution? We've never done that before. New idea. It's kind of like the old idea, but more. <laughs> uh, Is that not uh, Rishi's new budget plan? <laughs> like he he's come out. Uh, they've they've not said anything yet. But how is he going to like slag himself? Like how, well, <laughs> it's going to be quite a bit awkward. It's, I'm getting Cameron Osborne vibes when he was talking about um, tough choices that basically were in for yet another round of austerity measures. Mm-hmm. Which um, it's not exactly, exactly exciting for anybody. To be announced on Halloween, no less. What? Yeah. <laughs> That's quite good. <laughs> Did you like that? that? Yeah. I thought oh. you were choking in something. <laughs> Are you guys doing Halloween costumes? Sorry, I know that's not a political question, but uh, yes, we got a whole family team lined up. We're going to be the tracksuit mafia from Marvel Hawkeye series. It just, cool. it just got thought it'd be comfy. It was just when I, I need this, I need this tracksuit. Again, so, I thought it'd be cute having the baby in it as well, so matching tracksuit. I haven't watched I haven't, that, but it sounds cute. 
I haven't yet decided. What are you going as, Connor? So I can steal your no. idea. Uh, my partner and I are, are going as uh, Jin and Cashin from Rogue One, the Star Wars film, because there's we've been watching the series that's based on it, Andor, and really enjoying it. So, ah, oh, that's yeah. very specific. That's cool. <laughs> uh, I've got a purge mask that lights up with LEDs, uh, and it's quite cool. I thought just put that on and a hoodie and just scared the winds at the door. Um, but um, I. I uh, honestly, it's affecting my eyeballs. You can't see it. Gives me a sore heat. So yeah, <laughs> I'll good. be on for five minutes. <laughs> Did you ever have, you know, those scream masks that used to have like the blood pump and the blood would like squirt no. from the top? No, I have, I have seen them. Yeah. I, was, I think it was when I was a kid, my uncle had one of those and I thought it was like the scariest, most macabre thing you could possibly have. Made a real impression on me. Do you just get many people around the door like at Halloween? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure I about here actually. No. Um, we I literally we get one kid last year, and that was the first like in the five six years we lived here. And it was like so I wasn't really expecting anybody after six years of nobody. And so the door says we go in. I was like, um, I'll make one see what we've got. I gave him some biscuits, <laughs> <laughs> some biscuits, and a two pound coin off them. Um, we've always had wins that come, I think, because we're a wee square and we sort of know mm. all the wins. But the wins are getting older now. I'm going to show you my mask so you can take a <laughs> screenshot. <laughs> Actually, it's quite scary. <laughs> oh, the light isn't working. Oh, that's terrible. I'm just tweeting oh, out that sorry. picture. This is anticlimactic. I think it's pretty scary without the light already, to be honest. Oh, jeez. Is it good? I think this is all getting cut. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if I was a, if I was, a if I was a wee kid and I opened the door, I, I knocked on a door to that, I think I'd shit myself. So, Especially if I keep all the lights out. Yeah. Oh, that's quite, that's quite good. <laughs> this, is how good. Excite, this is how exciting uh, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is. I know that I'm playing with bands. The first attempt <laughs> to talk about something else. Well, just this like, is my fault. Talk, yeah, it's my fault. Talk about Halloween. No, no, I, I'm not... We always, always do it when we talk about Tories. It's like yep. tradition on the pod. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's early days for Rishi Sunak. I don't know what he's going to be like, but I don't have high hopes. I'm assuming Jeremy Hunt is just staying on as Chancellor now. Um, so um, I don't know if there's actually going to be that much news on the 31st. You but, know, oh, I mean, surely. Penny Morden, I think, specifically says that she would keep Jeremy Hunt in the job. Um, I think it was assumed Rishi Sunak was going to do that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure if Jeremy Hunt endorsed him, so it would be kind of funny to turn around and shaft at him immediately. Yeah. It would be very Tory, though. Hmm. What's a, a better job in the eyes of a Tory than Chancellor, Home Secretary? Prime Minister. I think I think it, it literally goes Home Secretary, then Chancellor, then Prime Minister. I would Chancellor say, I would in say the Home hierarchy. Secretary. I'd say foreign secretaries, third, the four home secretaries. Really? Oh. 
it's weird. It's just a weird setup That's, we've got. It's a big, the four offices of state, they thought. I always debate this, like it's quite a right wing view that because. Very much. I would say, you know, health secretary and education secretary, mm-hmm. but a left wing government would be far more important than, I mean, the home secretary. Like, mm-hmm. um, but it speaks to Tory values, you know, Tories. Don't, it's not like the Home Secretary is necessarily the most influential, but it is the one where you get to do the most racism, and isn't that really what they're in politics That's are? true, that's true. See, you can't, you can't underestimate get them when I to take pleasure in their job, mm-hmm. you know, you know, where you can actively be cruel, you know, that yeah. cannot be underestimated for a I wonder. I generally think, like, I wonder if Suella Braverman will come back as Home Secretary, you know, to complete her, you know, her dream uh, of sending asylum was- seekers to Rwanda. I was listening to LBC radio a wee bit for some reason. Uh, it was on. <laughs> but uh, they were talking about Rishi Sunak might announce in the morning a reversal of the Rwanda policy. I will be extremely surprised if he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would be shocked at that. Mm. He's not very popular amongst the party membership as it is. Exactly. I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know how recently he said it, but I, I, somebody dug up a quote from... Jacob Rees Mogg, where he accused Rishi Sunak of being a socialist. <laughs> I mean, uh. um, so if he's getting that kind of heat within the Tory party, I don't think mm. he'll, he'll want to do anything that kind of gives you know, credence to that sort of outlook as deranged and mental as it is. Yeah, I can't see that either. I mean, it's, might, it's quite possible that you know, it's being challenged in the courts at the minute, Rwanda policy. It's possible the courts will say this isn't legal as it stands. And, you know, the Tory party might decide, well, let's just shelve this for now and focus on doing some stuff that went into some more political capital or whatever. Or they'll double down. <laughs> um, but it's just hard to imagine they would just wave it away. Yeah, but does he care about lawfulness uh, when he was also part of the party gate scandal? Yeah, of course not. Yeah. So, Tory B, Tory do. But if you, but if you want fucks. to save face, <laughs> if you want to save face, that'd be the way to save face. Say, oh, well, you know, I'm all in favour of it, but it turns out it's illegal and, uh, you know, maybe leave that for another day. Um, but realistically, I just cannot see the Tories wanting to U turn on, again, some, like still one of their biggest things. You know, like if you look at all the polling that comes out, what party do you trust more? And, uh, X policy, Labour or the Tories. The things that the Tories always win on is like defence, immigration, not so much as not as strong on immigration these days, but still, like you'd imagine they'll be they'll be hammering this stuff over the next wee while. Mm. National security and all that, protect our borders. Yeah, it's kind of their only hope now. They'll struggle to trade off where the economically competent ones now, <laughs> which was always a sort of ace card that they tried to play against for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would we will we move on and talk about Shetland? Sure. Yeah. So, so internet and phone services have been restored to Shetland after two subsea cables were damaged. A break in the lines connecting Shetland to the mainland led police to declare a major incident last Thursday. Uh, broadband and mobile connections have been reinstated to a temporary fix as engineers continue repairs. Um, cable operator Faroese Telecom said the damage, which is not expected to be fully repaired until next week, was likely caused by fishing vessels. 
it was quite kind of it kind of shows you how fragile the modern world really is, Deborah. Um, what were you thinking about this? When Shetland is was pretty much cut off to the world. Um, did you say Deborah there? Sorry. Kinda. Did you say me? Aye. Um, I, right, I, sorry, I thought you were calling me up for saying your name wrong, and I thought... I, no, I didn't how, hear you. I thought, how many ways is there? <laughs> <laughs> I also thought that's what you meant. Oh. No, I didn't hear you, sorry. Um, I, sorry, Debra. <laughs> um, it's uh, terrible, it's absolutely atrocious, and the lack of coverage over it uh, is pretty disgusting as well but I, I must say I did enjoy Twitter memes where Twitter was going is it the Russians did the Russians do this to the cable and then Shetlanders were going with like staring eye memes going Orkney <laughs> <laughs> I loved it I was living for it um, I didn't realise that the same cable also went to the Faroe Islands Mm. Um, I was enjoying maps because you know I like a bit of map action um, the fact that it, it wasn't just some people didn't have broadband it was they couldn't get cash out the machines they couldn't access 999 like emergency services and they were being told go out in the street and flagged in uh, ambulance or police what if you're away on the other side <laughs> the islands like I doubt very much that there's just a casual copper floating about. Um, I, I'd, I think it's disgraceful that in 2022, uh, the effects of what is basically dredging, that's what they're saying it was, it was a trawler, wasn't it? How, why are we still dredging the seafloor when we know the amount of damage it does? And why are we allowing them to come all the way up to the shoreline? Uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm really annoyed about it. Uh, and I think we need better infrastructure. There's this sort of Star Trek level uh, shield thing you can get. Have you heard about this? And it's, I think it's called, I want to say Starnet, but that sounds a bit. Um, you think it's Starlink, the Elon Musk thing? Is, is that what it is? And it's like, it's, it bounces off the atmosphere and mm. you just need to, is that a real thing? Or is that? Yeah, as well, it's, it's, it's quite a controversial thing. So it's, it's one of Elon Musk's projects. Is oh, I hate it already. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was quite controversial because his idea was basically to put like hundreds of satellites into space all around the world so that you can basically get like satellite internet, which is an existing thing. But he was talking about creating basically this web around the whole Earth oh. that, would, that would be really reliable. And he's supposedly like deployed it in Ukraine or something for helping them. But it's controversial because all these satellites are uh, quite bright in the night sky. And so they had astronomers who were really critical of it because they were saying you know, this will make stargazing a lot more difficult. And if this becomes like a trend of putting way, way, way more artificial satellites in the air, then you can basically uh, try to, to stargazing. Uh, which I thought it was a thing that was coming up in the early 2000s. Uh, I remember because it was in Fraser's and I was obsessed with it. It was like a wee egg mobile phone and it just used its own network. for, But you could only call another egg maybe yeah. i dreamt this maybe, maybe i should maybe, have no, researched maybe, maybe this another thing yeah mm -hmm. although i did, I just, I did see him as, as soon as as soon as the name elon musk came up my first reaction was <laughs> it's clearly nonsense <laughs> it just makes stuff up as you go well, well, and, apparently it works it's a terrible idea <laughs> what what if we had the internet 
but it was really expensive and it cost us the night sky. <laughs> Fair. Well, see, that's I, the thing. I just... it's, like, it's like the practicalities of launching hundreds and hundreds of satellites, you know. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think we, there should be a better way than a cable running along the floor. Yeah. One, one single cable. Yeah. Some like eight <laughs> millimetres just... wide. That's what I couldn't get my head around. It's like, it's like, it's basically a big extension cable. Is that what they're plugging in? Dragging it sure to the next the, island and plugging that. Did this in. not happen also a few years ago off the coast of Africa? Or am I misremembering that? Because I seem to remember a, a subsea cable getting cut before that had devastating impacts for like millions of people. I could be misremembering that. It's, it's, um, ba- it's vaguely familiar, but I don't remember details. What I'm curious about is so they were saying that the subsea cable between Shetland and the Faroes got cut one week and then the cable between Shetland and the rest of Scotland got cut the week after that, if I'm, if I'm getting that timeline right. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's both cases, In both cases, they're talking about it being a fishing trawler. So I'm really wondering, is it the same trawler? Is it like one really reckless fishing vessel out there? Because they should track that boat down. You should think they'd be able to do that. They should be able to find wh- whose ship it was, right? I mean, the, all these ships have GPS trackers um, and presumably there's Coast Guard and stuff like that. They should find out who it is and... Uh, Haul them in. Heavily find them. Um, the you were right. Side. <laughs> yeah, you were right. By the way, there was a disruption uh, um, in Africa in January and April this year, and it was a uh, again they think fishing vessels. Mm. So, and it was outages in uh, parts of Europe as well were affected. So, it, it seems a common thing. I just think. Uh, I'm I'm disappointed we don't have uh, Star Trek type communication jet range just to that David <laughs> David stop moaning. <laughs> it's, um, it just seems a weirdly sort of casual approach they took as well. What you were saying, mm-hmm. one cable get cut, and it just seems as if they just went, "Ah, it's fine. We've got the other one." And then like it didn't seem as if it was a big deal, and you're thinking. Well, then the other one get cut and suddenly it's a major incident. Mm-hmm. And you just feel as if there should be more backup than having a single cable yeah. that's connecting, you know, what? island to island. I want to know if there was anyone in Shetland cut off long enough that uh, when they came back online, there was a new prime minister. <laughs> I bet there was. The whole, that's all I saw on Twitter was people making that joke. <laughs> There's a new prime minister in Shetland, doesn't have a clue. <laughs> <sighs> They're all the Shetland leaders all writing desperately to Liz Truss, not knowing that she's very busy. <laughs> um, he's one, right, whoever, I can't remember who, what one of you brought it up about how little coverage you got. Yeah. I, you know, I one of the kind of sources I kind of skim is the BBC website for like uh, preparing for the podcast. This was buried in the local news section. Mm-hmm. So you have to click on news, you have to click on Scotland. Then you have to have local news. Then you have to have to click on like, um, I think it was under the northeast. Um, before before you get, you know, about a whole community get completely cut off to the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. Totally, it's, it is disgraceful, and because of the rural setting anyway, like they need communications probably a lot more than the rest of us. So it's a definite top story. Like it's a national story. A bit of our country got cut off. The 21st century. Are we in the 21st century? I was just checking there for a minute. Last time I checked, I... really? 
Jacob yeah. Rees-Mogg would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the um, the media thing. I think I've never. I've, yeah, there's definitely an issue with the islands. All the Scottish island communities aren't really treated seriously. They're not really at the centre of anyone's political thinking. Um, I mean, on the one hand, I would say I'm sure if you were in the islands affected by something like that, Shetland people probably thinking at least there was a Scottish government response. If there wasn't any devolution to Edinburgh, it may feel distant, but imagine London trying to put together a rapid response team the same day Liz Truss is resigning. You know, maybe, you know, there's clearly some positive for Shetland in the fact that there is a devolved administration in Edinburgh. But the fact that it was buried by everything happening in London, I think, speaks very poorly for the Scottish media and its sense of priority, um, as well as, you know, the political balance. But... Like it's, it's a constant thing for me as a journalist that like Scotland's media operation is horrendously bad. This, neither the Scotsman nor the Herald actually read to me like national newspapers. Um, because of my work, I actually have to read Irish newspapers pretty much every day. And the gulf in like quality and the level of uh, reporting and what the kind of stuff they investigate is remarkable for like two countries that have effectively the same size of population. Ireland... Uh, as a whole island, maybe a little bit bigger, but um, the 26 counties population is about the same as Scotland, if not slightly smaller. And you just have like this incredible thing where they can actually balance, you know, reporting on the peripheries, the rural extremities, much better than any newspaper in Scotland can. It's just incredible. It's just a pet peeve of mine, sorry. <laughs> no, you're quite right, because I, th I think a lot of the attitude is that Scotland's already, you know, an outpost mm -hmm. for these more centralised organisations. So basically the Highlands and Islands are like the outpost of the outpost, so they're, they're so far down the priority line. That's always that thing, isn't it, about the word remote and what it means to say that a place is remote, because it's not remote to the people that live there. You of know, course. It's always like, remote for, to who and why? And you're like this, Deborah, because it's a map thing. I saw somebody making that point, and it was a map, but it was centred in Shetland rather than <laughs> the same way we always look at maps. And they mm -hmm. were saying, well, how are the remote? Because you look at it, and it seems like it's, because the map's cent centred there, you look one way, there's Scotland, you look the other way, there's Iceland, you look the other way, there's Norway. It's like, it's not remote for anywhere. It's surrounded by places. But mm -hmm. because we always look at the maps the same way, it subconsciously affects how we think about these things. Yeah. I could have... Yeah, I'm holding back going on about the MacArthur <laughs> projection. Because <and, laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I, I love it. I think it's a, it's a really valid point you make. And um, Shetlanders will most definitely uh, tell you that they are the centre of the world. Uh, and it's the Arcadians that are the uh, <laughs> rural ones. <laughs> I'd love to visit Shetland, but the big problem for me is I have a horrible seasickness, so I don't think I'd last oh, no. on those ferries. I'd quite like to go to the Arcadia Festival. That'd be awesome. So maybe we can organise that. Is that still trip. men only? No. 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 What's well, that I'm I thinking mean, of? They do live in the 21st century. Like, I know we're making jokes in that, but... <laughs> They are modern well, is there not, folk. Is there not, maybe it's not that thing. Is there not some kind of like Norse festival somewhere in Scotland where they only let men take part in it? Oh, I don't know. 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 I
I don't know if maybe the committee at one stage was only men, but obviously women can go. They don't yeah. make they don't make them leave the island. <laughs> well, it wasn't that long ago Elon and Sar was all an all male council. So like just that election there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought about that recently, wasn't Um I just Googled it and it says women will now be able to join up Helia squads for the first time in 2023. So Oh, so this is the first time? Oh, yeah. Nice. Perfect time for you to go there, bro. <laughs> I'm going to practice swinging my fire. I've actually, <laughs> um, I've actually started, became obsessed, slightly obsessed with a TikTok account of it's just a random woman that lives Falbard. Oh, I've seen that. Like, I like right, her. Yeah, what, you know, preparing because this is the last time I'm going to see the sun for four and a half months and things like that. And, so it's kind of cool. I couldn't do that. The only thing is, she never mentions the four wheels, which I believe are quite a big thing in Spellbob. Hmm. So maybe that'll be a future video. <laughs> maybe that's our Halloween special. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, a word from our sponsor. Our sponsor this week is Sense of Nature Pet Service, based in Central Scotland. Sense of Nature gives you a hands-on, personalised experience with a variety of exciting creatures. From snakes and skunks to tarantulas and turtles, Sense of Nature has something for everyone. They offer sensory sessions, one-to-one in group sessions, educational encounters for children of all ages, and they are available for private events upon inquiry. Animal welfare is at the forefront of everything they do, and if appropriate, a risk assessment can be carried out at no additional cost prior to your booking. To get 5% off your next booking with Sense of Nature, quote Holyrood Unguide 5 at time of booking. To contact Sense of Nature, you can do so by email on sense.of.natureinquiries at outlook.com. You can also find them on most social media platforms by searching for Sense of Nature. LBC host Sangeeta Miska calmly dealt with a caller who suggested that Tory leadership at that time contender Rishi Sunak doesn't love England and isn't even British in most people's opinion. A Conservative Party member, a military veteran named Jerry, said that Boris Johnson is the support of 80% of members and that he is the most likely to win a general election. Miska pointed out that Sunak was born in Southampton General Hospital, studied at Winchester College and was a British citizen. The father of two, Jerry, said that lots of people are, half of Al-Qaeda are British citizens. I'm just saying having a British passport doesn't mean you're a true English patriot who loves England. I mean, he's right in the last bit, because I've got a British passport, and I am certainly not a proud English patriot. <laughs> uh, but that's about uh, as far as I'll, I'll go in validating him, Jerry said. Hmm. Thoughts, Connor? I mean, firstly, obviously, it's abhorrent. Totally condemn the racism. That's going to be probably a big, well, not a big feature, but probably a you know consistent feature of Rishi Sunak's premiership. Um, I actually saw on Twitter today there was a few you know racists coming out the woodworks, and uh, I saw one that was like targeting both Rishi Sunak and Sadiq Khan, you know, as prime minister and mayor of London. I think it was claiming like, oh, well, one of them's Indian and one of them's Pakistani, and yeah, it's just. It's the worst kind of ethno-nationalist politics of the kind that obviously you know gets the Scottish independence movement gets accused of harboring. Um, but you can really see underlined there that the heart of this stuff is in 
England and Britain. Um, there's such a it's, it's interesting the way in which English identity is always constructed in I think more racial terms than Scottish, Irish, or Welsh identity. Um, I don't not saying that with like an exceptionalist point of view. Uh, I don't think there's some sort of superiority of Scots or something that leads to that. But I think it's worth reflecting on. It's like the big kind of existential crisis for the UK is that if Scotland becomes independent, which I think it will, if Ireland reunites and if Wales becomes independent, which seems more realistic uh, as of the last few years than it ever has, then like England does have to grapple with developing a national identity of its own. And it's going to have to be something that isn't defined in racist white supremacist terms. So, but it's a big challenge to imagine how we get from here to there. Deborah? You're right, Connor is absolutely abhorrent. I mean, there's so much to slag Rishi Sunak about being a Tory and all that. I mean, <laughs> I hate racism is horrible. And yeah, right, the, the English national identity does have a much more like white nationalist sort of tendency and you can see that evidenced in, I don't know, football hooliganism, for example. Like, it's, it's pretty prevalent. I don't think that's really anything too controversial, but it will be flagged up as. Uh, and again, that's no an anti-English thing. That's a anti-English nationalist thing. And then people flip that and say, ah, but you're a Scottish nationalist. It's like, for fuck's sake, man. Like, it's, it, our politics are so sort of focused around this is it identity politics is that just what it's called that's that's where we've gone because of that as David always points out that Overton window shift that we you know it, it used to be you look after disabled people old people you know the most vulnerable in society that was a given and then it just started sort of sliding in. oh well do we look after all of them uh, what about people, you know, the Windrush generation? And then it got, you know, it, it's just, we're, we're getting more and more fascist as the time goes on. And disappointingly, I don't think Rishi Sunak is going to help that. I think in some ways it might further people's tendency to be like that. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe I'm being pessimistic again. What do you mean? Like there would be a backlash? I like I think people some people are inherently racist. Did we not hear very similar fucking chat all through Brexit? Like is this is this really brand new stuff? Is it uh, mm -hmm. you you said it in one, it's continued xenophobia and racism. It's horrible. And also highlighting some people's total ignorance, like just it's so frustrating it's hard to discuss because we're obviously three white folk <laughs> i'm very aware of that <laughs> i mean i mean it's 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 really blatant uh, this attitude for this guy that phoned in um to lbc because it was know, unapologetic wasn't it it was unapologetic yeah, and, i mean he tries to skirt around it a wee bit when he's talking about he's a met you know he's got an american allegiance and indian business people and things like that but he then goes on about uh, contrasting that with how you know he sees Boris as a champion. Out of, the, out of Boris and Rishi Sunak, which one was born in Britain and which one was born abroad? 
Boris Johnson was born abroad. But there's no sense that, well, he was born abroad. Maybe he has to prove that he's British or English or, you know, it's like, you know, and I think what is his grandfather was Turkish or something as well. But at the end of the day, Boris looks white and that's why he doesn't ever have to be questioned on that. Whereas, yep. I mean, Rishi Sunak is born in England, goes to Winchester College, you know, like, I think they go to Oxford or whatever, like, it's as English as you can get, but the only thing is he's yeah. brown. That's literally the only thing that's marking him out. Uh, the point to make is, uh, Deborah said, he's surprised the Tory membership sprung for him. I mean, of course, the Tory membership didn't actually spring for him because Tory members didn't get to vote this time around. And when they did get to vote, they didn't elect him. They put in less trust. So, I mean, I thought it looked bad when they had 170,000 odd, 170, odd Tory members picking the Prime Minister, but it's really put to oh. shame by about 350 MPs doing it. I've just, you just totally made me think about that. I just presumed it was going to be a quick online me vote by the membership. It's, I think it was I meant will... to be, if, if they had more than one nominated candidate, there was going to be some kind of quick vote. But because right. Penny Mordaunt pulled out the oh, last minute, of course. and Boris pulled out, of course, it would have been a big challenge for Tory members if it had been Rishi Sunak versus Penny Mordaunt. Because on the one hand, Rishi Sunak is brown. On the other hand, Penny Mordaunt is a Catholic. And uh, I think she had like a great-grandfather who was in the IRA or something, so. This is brand new news to me. Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, maybe it's not a grandfather, maybe it's like a great-uncle or something, but I'm sure she's got a family member who was in the anti-treaty side of the IRA. Uh, so like, there you go, that's... I like her better already. <laughs> like what's more unpalatable to a Tory, you know? Uh, Irish Catholic or... Brown person. That would be an interesting experiment. Sectarianism or racism? What is the Tory mm-hmm. preference? Yeah, how unpleasant that would have been to King Charles, just having sworn in his uh, proclamation to uphold the Protestant faith and then having to bring a Catholic Prime Minister in. I think I remember when um, Ian Duncan Smith, who's Catholic, was um, leader of the opposition. There was sort of mutterings as to whether the Act of Union actually, no Act of Union, Act of Settlement would mm. allow him to become Prime Minister. You know, I think there was like, you know, scholars were having discussions behind the scenes as to uh, what actually would happen, but obviously he was awful as a leader, so never anywhere near one in the election, Ian Dalton Smith. Um, do, I don't know do if that sort of thing was sorted out when David Cameron and that changed some of the succession was not entirely sure. Do you think LBC Talk Radio is, like, I, I sometimes, I'll be honest, I sometimes listen to it just to see what people are saying. And most of the time I'm like, why am I even listening to this? It's atrocious. It's like the worst sort of football phone. And I don't, I, do you think it's got a place in our media, that sort of place to vent these things? Or do you think it just invites like this sort of commentary like is it fuel it's, for the fire it's or very, is it it's venting very, it's very clickbaity um, so, so in a way it's a bit hypocritical because I, I do click in a lot of the YouTube videos that you see mm-hmm. um, but I think I think it is like overall a very negative thing for the um, the sort of political 
discussion or whatever because they do self-select like the most ridiculous, extreme people at times, and even when they're on there, like get ridiculed or uh, you know told that they're wrong, it still sort of legitimizes the fact that mm-hmm. they're given this you know massive platform to broadcast their completely ignorant in all senses of the word uh, views on topics you know you don't want to be elitist and snobby saying we're only experts to talk about things but at the other end what value does somebody have who is completely ignorant of the actual facts and situations and the detail of what they're talking about which a lot of the time I find a lot of these phone-ins or letters pages you know it's it's the same as question time isn't it yeah that's what yeah, I was just going exact, to say. That's exactly BBC. <laughs> I have to be honest, I've never like tuned into LBC. I've seen clips doing rounds on Twitter or things like that, but I don't like any of the personalities that are involved with it. Couldn't bring myself to listen to that. I also can't bring myself to watch Question Time. I've not watched it in years and years and years. Um, I've, I've had people say to me, like, oh, are you not watching? Have you not? What did you think of Question Time last week or something? And I'm like, why would I, why would I do that to myself? Much happier not doing that. Actually, I'll, you know, I'll defend letters pages in local newspapers. I think they're all right. Uh, not sure if I would say I value the opinions of a lot of the ones in my local papers, uh, but that is, you know, that seems like the the right place to put that kind of stuff. You have to search it out. You you have to open the letters page to get the letters. It's not, you know, on the morning news. Like, imagine if, like, the BBC, when they do the front pages of the newspapers, they actually did the letters pages instead. That'd be awful. <laughs> yeah. or, 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 the, or the comment section of Facebook yeah. post. Oh, boy. Yeah. That sounds like Cokey and Radio <laughs> Scotland. <laughs> See, we always have a radio on in the morning. Mm. Uh, that's ever since I've been uh, a wee girl, we had a transistor radio in the kitchen. And, like, now we've not got one of them. We've got smart devices, mm. but... It, sometimes you get bored to listen to BBC Radio Scotland or Clyde One, so you mix it up. And LBC sure is like a wee shot of caffeine in your veins. Like, what the fuck is this? What's going on? Many years ago, I used to listen to BBC Radio Four in the office. Like when I was a kid, you know, getting driven to school and back home from school, that'd be the only time I heard the radio really. And then a few years ago, um, we had the radio on in the office all the time until one of my colleagues got a phone call. It's like a cold call, and they were like, "We're doing a survey." Do you mind if we ask you a few questions? He said, yeah. They asked, uh, do you listen to the radio in your workplace? And he said, yeah, of course. And the guy was like, uh, well, actually, you aren't licensed to do that and you're now needing to be fined X amount. <laughs> it's like a, like a trap. Uh, and, of course, this ended up back to my boss. You need to pay this money for licensing to pay to play the radio in your workplace, etc." So he, he came along and uh, physically removed the radio from the office. <laughs> so Yeah, I've heard about that. I had a friend that was a pub landlord and he always went on about that, saying like, and even have a radio on if you don't get the proper license and stuff. Mm-hmm. I can understand that for like a shop, like, you know, you're, you're playing it to your customers, but there was like three of us in a loft, closet, uh, like a closet-sized uh, office. It was hardly... Yeah, I, yeah. I must admit, I'm a bit surprised that it was like somewhere that isn't open to the public would still think. Yeah, no, apparently if it's a workplace, it's all the same. Um, I do, talking about LBC, I do quite like 
some James O'Brien stuff. There's stuff that I definitely, I, I can't listen to him when he's talking about Corbin and things like that. But one call that I really, really like, and I wish more media would do this, is there was a guy phoning in, livid, because uh, his kid's local school had uh, put in a prayer room. And he never quite got to why he was so angry about this, like how it affected him or whatever, but he was furious and, you know, James O'Brien was questioning more and sort of talking and he was saying, what, sorry, so what, where is this? It's London, the school. And he got the name of the school for the guy. He says, hold on a minute, I'm just getting one of my researchers to phone the school. And the guy panicked at this. And after the guy, like, the guy started accusing uh, that he was getting bullied uh, and ended up hanging up. And then they said that the, they had got the call back to the school that um, explained that, no, they do not even have a prayer room. <laughs> so it's that kind of thing of people literally making up things to be angry about, mm-hmm. you know. And, or it's like hearsay or something like that, yeah. Yeah, like another one I remember campaigning during the, I don't know if it was a, a general election or a by-election, and there was this rumour flying about Mary Hill about asylum seekers claiming that uh, the the social gave them buggies and they gave them it that easily that if they go to go on the bus and there's another buggy on it and they can't get on, they just leave the buggy because they say the social will just get them a new one. And it was quite a good tactic that uh, somebody said how to deal with this. Ask the people, where, like, did you see this happen? And they always say, no. Said, well, how did you hear it? Who told you? Did they see it happen? And it's always like some 17-hand account, mm-hmm. you know, that nobody can ever even trace whether this thing happened. If it did happen, was it other circumstances? And then people are like repeating this fact, something that didn't even happen to a friend of a friend. But they're talking as if they witnessed it. Yeah. And it's, you know, gospel. Because it, because it validates some kind of racist prejudice that they already yeah. have and that they want to feel validated about. And you saw the same thing with, uh, when you mentioned prayer room, I remembered um, during the campaign against the bedroom tax, how often you would get people saying, oh yeah, uh, Muslims don't have to pay it because they can just say that their spare bedroom is a prayer room. Just like nonsense. And you get the same <laughs> thing when people are saying like, uh, oh yeah, asylum seekers get bumped up the housing list and or, or, or migrants and stuff get bumped up the housing list and stuff like that. And it's all like, false but it's so yeah. hard to disprove things that are just made up you know like there's it's it's like it's like, it's like in, in in a court if you're suing someone for defamation the burden's on them to prove what they've said not the burden on you to disprove it because you could, you could say all kinds of horrible things about someone that they can't disprove uh so yeah and, and of course it just happens to be this is constantly racism central how did you think the host handled the, the call? I think they should have hung up sooner. Yeah, you could see she was really quite shaking a bit and a bit yeah. taking her back um, at first, but I think she's done fairly well in sort of exposing the ludicrousies, you know, pointing out that, you know, he's like the figure of British establishment uh, going through the finest institutions that the British state has. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because of the colour of skin. He has to prove his allegiance. Yeah, I mean, I think there is an issue with like 
as much as I love to believe sunlight disinfects, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, a lot of the times it's just not true, and you're kind of kicking the door open for there now to be a discussion about you know yeah. either the racism directed at Rishi Sunak and defending against it, and you don't want to open that up into the national discussion, um, because it is it is just making that seem more like a, a valid point of view, or not even like valid, but it, it's validating yeah. but like it's it's not necessary necessarily a valid opinion but by having it as such a high profile thing mm-hmm. I think that you're right it just opens that door for more of that discourse and yeah. I, I just feel so sorry for folk that have to listen to this shake constantly like mm-hmm. must you must get so tired of it I wonder if this will be Farage's next thing that he oh, jumps on. Copying copy his hero. Because, I mean, remember, that's how Donald Trump sort of... That was his political project. Yeah, the, the whole birth certificate to do with Obama. Oh, God, that's a depressing thought. I wish I'd been to that. <laughs> yeah, keep that here. Don't give him ideas now, David. Come on. I know. See if he comes back with that after this podcast comes out. Well, at least we know you listen. <laughs> Let's move on to our final topic. A Labour councillor has said her party has blocked her from standing to become an MP, in part because she liked a tweet from First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. She said that liking a tweet about Sturgeon testing negative for COVID-19 had been listed among the evidence put forward to stop her standing in the Milton Keynes North at next general election. Scottish Labour MSP Mercedes Villalba spoke out in support of Townsend, saying party members had been denied a choice Fahala uh, wrote, Councillor Lauren Townsend is a proud, proud unionist and fierce campaigner. Labour members have been denied a choice and Milton Keynes North has been denied her strong socialist voice. Jaddy, this is not what democracy looks like. Deborah. Labour have record on this, don't they? They stopped the candidate uh, from standing in, was it Glasgow or Lanarkshire for, because they supported Scottish independence? Uh, Do you remember that? Yeah. Glasgow. Oh. It's just silly. It's like Scottish, well, it's not even Scottish Labour, it's just Labour in general. They want to have this crazy idea that the constitutional question is not up for uh, debate in any way within their party. So much so that even when somebody who's not liking anything about the constitutional question, just liking a Nicola Sturgeon tweet, oh, she must be, she she probably likes, quite likes the idea of Scottish independence, can't have her get her out. Like it's it's ridiculous and Milton Keynes of all places like they're just nice and like roundabouts. Yeah, I mean, I think the lesson that's really coming out of this is that the right in the Labour Party is ruthless when it comes to using the party machinery for factional purposes and the left is embarrassingly bad at it. And that's like the 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 Labour Party under Corbyn uh, had probably an opportunity to go harder against these people, like deselect right-wing candidates, impose left-wing candidates, et cetera, et cetera. But they're too, they were too scared to do it. And uh, it's, it's, there's almost like this thing, this kind of trend over recent years, I think you can even like see it globally, not just in the UK, of the left believing and defending institutions far more than the right does. And so you get 
in the Labour Party, for example, the, the Labour left defends the unity of the party as a broad church and the party of the Labour movement writ large, etc. far more than the right does. The right doesn't care about it being a broad church and keeping the left on board. And in the same way, you know, um, with things like the Brexit crisis in the UK, things like Boris Johnson lying to the Queen to suspend Parliament and all this stuff, bending and breaking the rules to get what they want when the left would never dare do that because they, you know, they believe in parliamentary democracy too much, et cetera, which I think is a, it's a weakness and it's something the left's got to get over, be ruthless. Um, and yeah, I think like Lauren Townsend, I don't know, I don't know her, so I can't really comment on her, her politics in particular, but there does seem to now be this kind of trend in the Labour Party of candidates um, not being allowed to stand, not getting, not making long lists, et cetera, um, on very uh, spurious grounds. Uh, I think I saw um, Emma Dent Code, who is the Kensington MP. She's not been allowed to stand again uh, for Kensington. I don't know what her politics are like either, to be honest, but uh, it definitely seems like a, fa a factional kind of issue. Um, and it underlines to me as well, I just think, you know, if you're still on the left and in the Labour Party, I have no idea what, I have no idea what you're doing. I don't understand it. I, I really don't. Um, it's a party that the leadership and the whole apparatus desperately wants you to not be there. A large part of that apparatus didn't want you to be there even when Corbyn was the leader. Um, and you still have people thinking that there's some kind of mechanism, some pathway to progressive change there that I just don't see. I just don't see it. And I think, it, you know, Keir Starmer, some of the statements that he's made in the last few days, he's got this enormous poll lead over the Conservatives for the next general election, which seemingly is ages away anyway, because Rishi Sunak doesn't want to go to the polls. Um, but like all he's done with that advantage is say, oh, you know, Labour and the Tories were pretty much on the same page about immigration. Yeah, uh, climate protesters, we definitely have to bang them up. Um, you know, economic, fiscal stability, really important. Let's not spook the markets, et cetera, et cetera. It just feels like there's uh, such a concerted push to not give us any real political choice in Britain. Um, and yeah. I saw someone point out recently, we've got one near billionaire banker, prime minister and Tory party leader, and the other two party leaders are both knights of the realm. <laughs> uh, and I, I, that's just what it comes down to me. Like Labour Party has back firmly in the hands of a very ruthless right wing that doesn't want to give any quart to people who might shake up that image and that value. Um, Absolutely. Um, that that woman, sorry, was Holly Cameron, just for the record. The, yeah, I mean, it's it's clear just like it's a continuation of the pub that's been going on against anybody remotely connected to organism. Um, when I read the quote, the Mercedes Villalba and referred to the woman as a socialist, and, a and right away I was like, oh, that's what it's about. It's just somebody that's in the left of the party and they're using this fig leaf there to go for them and uh, block them. You know, mm. it's not like she liked a tweet, like criticising the Labour Party even, or <laughs> a campaign thing. She basically liked a tweet saying, oh, it's good that another pol a political opponent isn't testing positive with a deadly <laughs> virus. I mean, so that's the level now, like, to be in the Labour Party uh, and to be in the right, the, the right insists that you must wish death 
on all political opponents, mm-hmm. which they'll be the except first Tories. One, except Tories, you need to respect some people, don't you? Um, I mean, it's you know they're, they're just oh, I, I really I despise the the, mm-hmm. the the labor rights so much, and I thought I was going to make a really good point, and you kind of made it first there, Connell. You know, like has Britain ever been less democratic than it is now? Mm-hmm. I mean, do we need to go back to like, you know, the divine right of kings? You know, you've got two parties pursuing a really narrow right wing agenda with a voting system that ensures their duopolies unchallengeable, really. And if that's not bad enough, they're also both manipulating their own membership to this ludicrous degree. Uh, we kind of touched on it earlier. You know, if you take the you know, if you just analyse it subjectively or objectively, because we're, we're influenced with the fact that we don't like the Tory party, we don't like Tory member. But what happened was a, a party elected, a party membership elected a member, and within 44 days, the MPs get rid of her and installed mm-hmm. the guy who she defeated democratically within, you know, the party vote. If, can, can you imagine how it would feel if that had happened within the Labour Party? And it kind of mm. did, just less, you know, drastically. Uh, you know, Corbyn was completely supported by the vast majority of the members and was really done in over a length of time by the parliamentary Labour Party that hated them. And that's what we're down to. We're down to this oligarchy of um, MPs that, that come from um, the same sort of schools, the same sort of establishment. And, you know, you're, I kind of agree and disagree with you with your friend Connor about, you know, why is the left in the Labour Party? I can, I definitely agree with you in terms of Scotland. But what do you do if you're in the left in England? And, yeah. You know, you know, it doesn't seem as if it's any more practical to try to set up a, a party outside of, you know, the the two main parties that completely, because of the voting system, control everything. So the logical thing is to try and be in one of the parties and influence it within. But we're seeing how, you know, difficult that is and how brutally you'll be treated if you try to do that. So if somebody in the left is telling me, in England is telling me they're staring Labour to try and do that, I'm not going to argue with them because I don't have a better option. It would feel great in that moment to rip up your Labour membership card, but you know, the, the right wing, that's exactly what they want, because they want to try all the left left wing members out of, out of the Labour Party. Um, I was reading a thing that said uh, Rishi Sunak and his wife are richer than King Charlie. Is that, did mm. anybody confirm that? Well, supposedly if you exclude all the state-owned, uh, like, Buildings and stuff like that that form part of the royal estate. So Charles's private wealth is less, but then he obviously benefits from all the technically state-owned parts. I was just thinking, are we in more a feudal state now than we've ever been? Like, what, what, what? Really? Like, we've got, as you said, sirs as the leaders of the opposition, and uh, Rishi Sunak now prime minister, and I, I just. I kind of feel hopeless without independence. Do you know that? Like, independence is very much Scotland's last hope to get out of this 
mess, but also Wales and Northern Ireland's got a bit of reunification to look forward to. I don't, I have nothing, I have nothing more to say because I'm just like, my mind's a bit blown that the, I thought, I honestly thought members had elected Rishi Sunak and you just repeated it there, that it was the MPs. That's yeah. to, to coin Brian Finlay's phrase, that's wild. That's mm. really fucking wild. Technically, they didn't even elect him. They just nominated him, and then they didn't have an election. <laughs> yeah, it was just all they wanted, wanted the job in there. Yeah. Um, Although the only one that could get 100 people, 100 MPs to support him. Apart from Boris Johnson, who says he definitely got 100, and he was just making uh, the, you know, he, the principal decision not to put them in. Yeah, yeah he, he had 100, over 100 MPs, but you don't know any of them. Um, they live, <laughs> the live up his grants, but... And then he met them in holiday. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say though. Deborah, you mentioned independence and saying like that's the you know the escape route for us. I totally agree with that. And I think you know with David saying what are you meant to do when you're in England? I actually think people in England should be supporting Scottish independence. Like if you the, the UK is so undemocratic, and I can't imagine any better way to kind of jumpstart the process of looking at all this stuff from scratch than splitting the country into like maybe that is what it will take to actually have the question of like maybe England or the Rump UK or whatever is left after Scottish independence would throw up a democratic constitution uh, maybe that's what they need redraw the borders and maybe that'll be the moment to democratise the actual country that's left over from that I don't know maybe that's too optimistic but I'll, I'll go further. I, I'm, I'm calling for the balkanisation of England. Forget about England. You know, we need an independent um, Mercia, an independent uh, North, independent Cornwall. Just smash, uh, smash it up and we can all be hold hands and be friends in this island together. Jacob Rees Mogg would love a Mercia. Man, that, he would be <laughs> loving that. Jacob Rees Mogg will provision his. Conditionally supporting it in the grounds that he wants to be king. <laughs> he's polishing his he wants, right he wants to be king of Wessex. That's his, that's his he's aim. polishing his big joust. <laughs> it's really, really big, though. That's a disgusting uh, gesture <laughs> you just made there, Deborah. And I am just happy that our listeners don't have to see it. I think you should uh, take some time to reflect. Reflect on your actions. I, never I think that's to a good place about... to sum up. <laughs> yeah. Um, Deborah, Connor, thanks for joining us. Everybody listening, thanks for listening. Um, you can find all our podcasts at leftlandgag.org as well as written articles. Uh, there's a North American-based monthly podcast for a week, Beat with George Collins. Uh, you can also catch the latest Talking Sense podcast with Kat and Erin. And if you've got anything you'd like us to tweet, uh, talk about, you can tweet us at un- underscore ungagged hashtag Hollywood ungagged or send us an email ungaggedleft at gmail.com and put Hollywood ungagged in the subject line and if you enjoyed this please give us five stars on whatever podcast platform you use and we also now have a discord community so if you would like to join in that please get in touch through any of our social media channels again Deborah Connor thanks for joining us and we'll be talking to everybody next week Bye. Bye. Bye.
Living the only way they can on a slippery slope. Yeah. How does action mean out of mind? You'll be surprised when you find. Take a glimpse of the hands from my eyes. And look deeper when you die. We all need to survive. So we find a way, how can you provide for your family on a minor wage? And when you work three jobs just to boost your pay, days turn to night, nights turn to day, working to the bone just to climb out of poverty. Kids grow up not knowing their rents, full of animosity, then used to rent the wrangle on roads, start doing robberies and build a rep to gain respect. On these mucky streets, looking for the love and attention that they crave. Couldn't get it at home, but found something unpaid. And the aim becomes to be top dog on the estate as they follow on the path to the cage or the grave. Cause they grow without any boundaries or support. And it seems the only thing they recognize is being poor. The life seems empty, so they always want more. But they can never find what it is they're looking for. In a life full of pain and suffering. No option, born into hard times, struggling. Learn to survive and make pee from hustling. So don't be surprised when they're grown, it's a gully thing. How does action mean out of mind? You'll be surprised when you find Take a glimpse of the hands from my eyes And look deeper when you drive by On the high rise stairs you'll see things on the pipe Women out all hours cause they're ladies of the night Youngest carry straps cause they're eager for stripes And the government ignores the situation like they're blind Raising the taxes and lowering benefits Making it harder for families who are struggling Keep the rich rich seems to be their prerogative Forcing the poor to be even more impoverished And people will do what it is they have to do The crime rate will rise and it will go through the roof Double music and games but it's all an excuse The establishment cause the situation is the truth Politicians only listen to funds they campaign Society will fall cause things will never change The rich and poor divide will exaggerate the nation will decline and fall into the case. Oh dear Prime Minister, could you get a clue? Look what you're doing to the poor and the youth. You need to make changes because they're long overdue. Start listening to the people instead of ignoring the views.